What is up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew. This is my show where I chat with cool people in the D&D tabletop gaming community about the cool things that they are doing. I have one of those cool people with me today, and we will get to him in just a moment. But I would like to take a quick second to remind you guys about one of my awesome sponsors who makes this awesome show as awesome as it is, and they are AwesomeDice.com. If you need dice for your D&D, tabletop, Cthulhu, Pathfinder, whatever you're having to play game, you can go to AwesomeDice.com and check them out. They have, uh, would you guess, at Awesome Dice, you can get some really beautiful, really killer looking dice for you to uh, roll on your games, roll on your tables. And if you use the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout, you can save 10% on the order and you support the show. So they appreciate it. I appreciate it. And you get cool dice. I think we all win in that scenario. I'm very excited to introduce my guest for today. He is the creator of the Forgotten Realms, the writer of more words than I could ever read in three lifetimes. Ed Greenwood is with me here today. What's going on, Ed? Oh, hi. Um, not much. Uh, I'm 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 on vacation for ooh, an hour and a bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you can uh, you can take that vacation with us. We're looking forward to chatting with you. Cool. So, so, I mean, let's dive right into it because one of the first questions I typically ask people on the show is how did you get into Dungeons and Dragons? But in many ways you were part, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part really of, of the start of Dungeons and Dragons writing with Dungeon Magazine and all this stuff. So how did you get involved way back in what would that have been like the mid to late seventies? Yeah. Uh, where did it all begin? Okay. I was already, um, writing fantasy stories and i'd already created something called the forgotten realms mm-hmm. and i was also a gamer and of all sorts you know from the, the the cute games you got under the christmas tree with spinners and little plastic men we didn't call them meeples then that that term hadn't been invented they were little plastic right. men they were completely genderless but they were men <laughs> because who knows and um uh, my father was in the military and specifically in uh, NORAD and NATO radar. So he played simulation games. And there were a small group of um, developing simulation games back then in what became mm-hmm. later the company SPI, um, and which had hexes and zones of control and cute little rules like from tune, turn 32 on, the stacking limit is three if you cross the river Niper, <laughs> you know, um, right. or, or Blucher will bring his Prussians uh, on turn 36, hold on until then, sort of thing, and all that stuff. Um, right. And, and also, of course, he introduced me to Kriegspiel, which was the German staff game, which is, the rest of us know, is broken telephone. But uh, it was simulating the fog of war. You put gotcha. um, your officers in different rooms, and one of them was a runner, and orders, uh, intel went in one direction, and orders were relayed in the other direction, and everybody moved on their own maps without seeing each other, and they practiced what sort of a snafu they could get into. It was good training for when it actually happened. You know the old saying that the British Army fought all of its battles in the pouring rain in the middle of the night on a steep hillside at the edges where two maps met. <laughs> right. Know? So it was yeah. trading for that. Um, and I was creating 
fantasy stories just for my own entertainment set in mm -hmm. the Forgotten Realms, and I was reading fantasy voraciously. And this is just about the time that Lynn Carter started reprinting all the classic fantasies. So I wasn't limited to the moldering books in my family's library. He was sure, bringing back yeah. into printed mass market paperback, everything. Um, and he was deliberately doing everything. So it wasn't all people who are copying Tolkien. It was all the stuff. So I was reading all the stuff. And then along came these three booklets called Dungeons and Dragons. And I bought them. Cool. A game that is, has to do. And yeah. then, then I went and picked up Chainmail. And Chainmail was a sand table wargaming book uh, for medieval and, miniatures. And you needed Chainmail initially to play original uh, D&D, right? Did they, I, only I the mass played. battles. Only the mass okay, battles. Okay, gotcha. Uh, you see, Chainmail stood alone and came first. Okay. And and there was a there was a D and D supplement called Swords and Spells, which was actually mm -hmm. um, a, another booklet that came along later, which was how to use the chainmail rules with D and D, because they took the D and D spells and gave them burst circle areas of effect and so on. But until then, right. it was just literally, here's your cavalry, here's your infantry. Oh, and here's a dragon, and that was that chainmail had a few um, rules for griffin charges and. Lions okay. and war elephants and dragons. Um, yeah. but, but then along came D&D. It was a great idea. I loved it as an idea. As a game, I thought, it's just going to devolve into an argument at the table. You've got all these people saying what their characters are going to do and not enough rules. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until later on when Greyhawk, the booklet Greyhawk came out, and which added thieves uh, to the game, added beholders, and some really cool magic items that it was like, okay, I'm just going to keep reading this. Um, but it's just going to be fiction, like everything else. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something to stoke my imagination. Right, yeah. And then two things happened a little later. The Monster Manual came out, and that codified all the monsters from mythology, right. plus new ones, exactly what they could do. And I thought, this is really cool. And then bang, out came the Player's Handbook. Oh, Jack Vance's magic system from the Dying Earth, the, which is also known as Fire and Forget. Mm -hmm. You concentrate to impress the magic spells on your mind. And once you cast them, they're gone from your mind. So you can't have infinite um, magic missiles like um, a machine gun in a war movie that never needs right, reloading. Yeah. Pow, 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 pow. And, and you can't use your magic user like a tank. There are limitations, and I thought this is really cool. Okay, from now on, everything in the realms is going to be cast in D&D terms because it gives me a keep-you-honest backbone. And then I met right. a young lady called September. I say young lady because she died of cancer very shortly thereafter. So in memory, she's always mm. a young lady. She was actually sure. probably about two years older than me. Anyway, and she was a great DM and the first great DM I ever met. She used to put on costumes. She used to put on funny voices. She used to act. And um, she was stunningly beautiful. And all of the players were guys. And we were smitten with her. So it all worked out. She told stories. Mm -hmm. And we took part in them. And we directed the direction the story went. And this really brought D&D &D alive for me. So that's where it started. But I was there for the 19... Okay, the three booklets came out in 1974. If you mm -hmm. weren't in an American college campus, 
and and or one of Gary's friends, you didn't see it till 1975 when it started making it out to hobby shops. That was the early. Okay. I saw yeah. it then. I bought it then. I didn't play go on playing the game till 1978 when the player's handbook joined the the um, monster manual, and I became aware of Dragon Magazine. And I started reading it regularly. And in 1979, I started getting published in Dragon, and that's where it all began. Because I started sneaking mentions of the realms into all my Dragon articles. Because mm, yeah. I'm Canadian. I'm, I've learned to engage with the world in a non-shy manner. I was incredibly <laughs> right. shy then. And it sounded incredibly arrogant to me to write for Dragon in a style that says, Hi, my name's Ed Greenwood. You never heard of me, but... I know a better way of rolling dice than you do. So here it is. I mean, that to me is like, makes my skin crawl. And sure, yeah. I also was acutely aware that every player, if they could, read Dragon, not just mm-hmm. every DM. And you had players who'd memorize the new stuff. So you'd throw a new monster at them and they go, oh, that's a click click. Yell Thursday and it'll fall over dead. Yeah. And you go, jeez. You know, <laughs> there goes my uh, suspension. You know, yeah, I have nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you learn to um, use an unreliable narrator. So instead of saying there are three orcs in room eight and their hit points are, knowing that every player would read it, you would right. use an unreliable narrator like Elminster. And he says, there are rumors that there are orcs in the ruined castle, but I don't credit them myself. And there you've just built in the Dungeon Master's Elbow Room. There can be no orcs. Right. There can be an ogre instead of orcs. There can be a dragon that ate the orcs five minutes ago, and now it wants you. Um, or, you know, or you can have um, whatever you want. You've built in the wiggle room. So that's how I started in D&D. And I happened to vastly impress the editors, A, because mm-hmm. I was charging to put out stuff and mailing it off to them as fast as they could. Yeah. And... They, I sent off, they had a, a, a feature, a column called Dragon's Bestery, which had just replaced Featured Creature. And Featured Creature was a new monster column. And it was written by people at TSR. They were busy. I mean, Gary in particular was a bottleneck. The company was expanding by leaps and bounds. He'd never sure. run a company before. Um, he had a tagger by the tail. And he couldn't keep up with the design demands on his time. So um, more and more stuff had to be generated by people outside, freelancers, people who read the magazine. So they started Dragon's Bestery and they said, hey, you'll get paid on $25 US, which was a lot of money back then. Um, sure. Um, and anything in this column will be as official as anything in the Monster Manual. Ooh, so right, I, right. So I wrote um, The Cursed and set it off. They printed it. Immediately, I thought, mm. wow, they're desperate for monsters. So I typed up the second one called The Crawling Claw, <laughs> and I sent it off. Yeah. Sixteen days later, my issue of the magazine came back to me in the mail with my monster in it. Wow. And I said, yeah. they are desperate. As in, there's no way they would have taken a monster. I mean, he must have opened the letter to type this in. Right. Uh, Here's and, a monster. Go. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, I just flooded them. And yeah. between flooding them with stuff and writing a an article that ended up appearing in Dragon 37 on Gates that had footnotes in it. Apparently the first article they'd ever received that had footnotes. Um, 
although it wasn't the first I wrote. The first I wrote was for Divine Right, a game, a board game that they TSR put out. But they saved that for a Divine Right theme issue in 37, uh, 34, excuse me. And uh, apparently I impressed Kim Mohan, the assistant editor, enough that mm -hmm. when I came to Gen Con that year, Gen Con that year was in University of Wisconsin Parkside, um, he said, hey, why don't you come and see me? And what he was doing, we literally bashed open the doors of the university campus, which was in its own park. You know, they they manicured it like a golf course, but it was all the university land. You just banged yeah. open the doors and you're on this manicured grass. And we went for a walk and he said, how would you like to be a contributing editor? I said, yes, right. <laughs> Do I have to move down? No, 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 you don't have to move down there. And there's one little patch. Uh, you don't get paid. That's the contributing part. <laughs> right. and, and I mean, it, do, it doesn't mean I didn't get paid for the articles. Sure. It meant sure, yeah. you're not on staff. Uh, right. It's an excuse to use your articles over and over again when some poor gamer is trying to write about Napoleon's nasal drip and get published. And he sees article after article by this guy and his isn't printed. What the right. heck? So, oh, well, he, this guy's on staff. Oh, okay. That's, so now it was it a way sense. of doing yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I started. And and years later, when Gary was gone and TSR had spent two years of all the company's money and resources doing Dragonlance, mm -hmm. and they wanted Jeff Grubb, who was a staff designer at, at uh, TSR, had come up with a position paper, a unified game world for the second edition of the game, which meant a game world that they had to be able to slot everything in. Arabian Adventures, which became El Hadim. Oriental Adventures, which became Oriental Adventures. <laughs> Pirate Adventures. Jungle Adventures. Malat right. Malatra, the living jungle, is what that became. They, they had to, it had to take everything. Arctic, it had the Desert of Desolation modules they'd already done with pyramids. That had, the world had to take all of those. And he had noticed that I kept sneaking mentions of the realms into my dragon articles mm -hmm. and they were only there because that was my personal rewards because the players would see that and go, didn't he say something about, you know, wagons, right. five, but they wouldn't remember because so much stuff was getting published. And that yeah. I thought simulated what their characters might've heard or experienced heard in the a world. rumor in a tavern yeah. or kind of you know seen a, a posting or something yeah that's yeah. that's really cool so so that that didn't feel like cheating it didn't mm -hmm. feel like the rules lawyer who's memorized everything at the table or the guy who brings his stack of dragons and says hold on just a minute flip 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 you know which to me yeah is cheating and i don't mean it's cheating as in Oh my goodness, you shouldn't do that. It pulls you out of the imaginary story. Right, yeah. And into a metagame thing. And I and there's no right way to play D&D, but for my players and myself, we wanted to avoid playing it like high school football. Right. The the quarterback, you go into a huddle and the quarterback says, "Okay, the thief, you sneak around the back." You know, the what the party caller method. Right. Because that pulls your head out of the game. And somebody says, so how many, how many minute meteors do you get? Well, okay. How many magic missiles do you get at your level? Okay. So that'll do more damage. So, you know, in other words, right. you're using metagame knowledge and you're stopping. It, it becomes, it becomes like a, a solved game at that point, right? Yeah. You're just calculating the number of steps for you to achieve the result and then walking through them. Yeah. And if you want to do that, there are games, war games that simulate better than D&D. &D. 
mm-hmm. is a storytelling game, and that right, is right. where it shines. And if you can keep it at the acting and telling stories, it really shines. And it also means that you can have somebody who's never played the game before, like your grandmother or, you know, your eight-year-old niece, and they can step right. in and play a character and feel a part of it because they don't have to have memorized all this stuff yeah, or yeah. Um, know that, oh, the fighter has a better chance to hit than the magic user. You know, they, they, they might sense that, but that's different. Mm-hmm. That's what they're care Anyway, so that's how I got into the game because Jeff Grubb said, he phoned me, cold called me at the public library where I worked up in Canada and said, hey, um, you don't know me. My name's Jeff Grubb. I'm calling from TSR. And I said, yes. And he said, um, <laughs> do you have a complete detailed game world at home or do you just make the stuff up as you go along? And I said, yes. And yes. <laughs> and he goes, right. he says, good, send it. <laughs> well, no, actually, what he said was, um, I'm going to give you a phone number. Call this number after five o'clock today. Oh, wait, six o'clock your time. And I said, okay. And he said, the man who will answer the phone is my boss, Mike Dobson. Um, he may make a, an offer to you. And of course, what he was trying to do was move this off company time and off company property. So if right. I said no, and if there was a big screw up, it would have just never happened. Right. Yeah. And of course, I said, yes. You know, and at one point, um, Mike Dobson said, aren't you going to ask me how much money? No, no, I don't care. Because I just <laughs> wanted color maps. Because all my maps, oh, yeah. I had to color with pencil crayons. So all the C's had all these strokes. And I tried thinking, oh, instead of just going that with the pencil, I'll make waves with the pencil. That looked even worse than just going it, it, right. it said, oh, kindergarten kid trying to do maps so i thought i will get beautiful color maps so i said yes so that's how we got that's the forgotten really range. yeah <laughs> and and here we are today and and what looking back on that and obviously having been involved and written so many books um in the forgotten realms and, and you were still actively working on projects set in the forgotten realms um does it surprise you the staying power that the setting has had in the game and in the community yes very much so and in fact, I was afraid at the beginning that they would drop it after two or three years. And um, I would have to litigate to get my setting back because the world was for me to write fiction in long before there was D&D game. Right. And yeah. I wanted that to continue. And yeah, I, I, did, I have been astonished by uh, the staying power. I think it's because... The Realms was more detailed when gamers first saw it than any game setting that they'd seen thus far. Greyhawk, hmm. um, Gary never had the time to develop the, it beyond the wargaming thing. You know, Furiondi, sure. here's how many troops they could field. Because it was for Sandtable Chainmail Wargaming. You know, so right. that was, and then Dragonlance was a, you have to tell this epic story. And you have to stick to the story as much as possible. So that long group of modules that they published, they had this rule called obscure death, 
because, hey, you can't kill that villain yet because that villain has to be in another. You need him later. Yeah. yeah. So make sure he yeah. falls off the cliff and you don't recover the body. <laughs> you know, right. you know, so, you, but, yeah. you know, but but it all was tell this one big epic story like Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings, save the world. What do you do for an encore? Sure. Save it again. You know, right. anticlimax. Yeah. But the realms, the pitch that I gave the realms that it's the land of a thousand thousand stories. There's mm-hmm. all these subplots. There's many, many stories. It can go forever, and it has, because everybody yeah. has contributed to it. It's not my world anymore. It's our world, everybody's world. Everybody's contributed to it. They've put themselves into the realms. They've taken it in different directions I could never have imagined. Um, but I have been involved all the time, and so have some very skilled people like Eric Boyd and George Crashos, who are the lore lords of the realms. And whenever mm-hmm. somebody says something that contradicts some, somebody else, they sit down and try and figure up a way to make the two... Make it work. Yeah, and then come yeah. up with something far-fetched, usually, that, that does explain it away. So it feels like a one big tapestry. Even if some of the bits don't really harmonize, like this bit's checkerboard black and white, and this bit over there, the the guy was probably on acid when he was coloring it, you know, and they just don't <laughs> yeah. mesh together. It is still one tapestry, right. you know, so yeah. it works. And I think that's the staying power. So now it is the largest and most detailed world ever because we just keep adding to it. Just keep building it. Yeah. And, and that's what, so I had a, several months ago, I had Justice Armin on, um, who I think you've worked with, uh, recently on the Elminster's Candlekeep Companion and um and some other pieces and and so we were talking specifically about candlekeep but it's kind of it, it's mind-blowing right that something that you worked on started working on 40 plus years ago is still having these details discovered and fleshed out 55. and people are 55 years later are, are obsessed with discovering each intricate detail they're going to write a book all about the really big library and, and there are new things to discover. Is that, does that ever just kind of blow your mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it really does when I'm trying to keep things straight and somebody says back in 1976 and you go, <laughs> um, that would be before you were yeah. born and, and, they, right. and they go, yeah, but you wrote, yeah. <laughs> so was it a Thursday? Was it raining? <laughs> You know, and you go, you go, I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, there, there are times when I, I think it's now gone beyond what anybody can hold in their memory. But yeah, yeah, there are little triggers, like somebody will mention a character's name and I'll flash back to the hot autumn afternoon when I created that character and what for, you know, and, and yeah, it is, it is incredible to, to watch things enter popular culture and think, I did that. Or my friend um, asked me if he could add that character. Or Bob Salvatore wrote up this thing and sent it in to TSR. And I got this little phone call from Mary saying, is it okay if we use this wizard and this wizard? And I said, yes to this one, no to that one. Because, Mm -hmm. Because game department has plans for that. Don't you guys talk to each other? You're in the same building. I'm up here in Canada. No. You know. <laughs> right. But right. but you know, there yeah, it is it is um it's a it's a great cool feeling. And it and at times it's sort of like, what have I done? <laughs> like created a, a monster and yeah. it's just 
growing and growing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has a life of its own. It, it doesn't call yeah. home anymore. It's rolled the convertible <laughs> several times. <laughs> it, it's the police have brought it home for throwing pennies in the fountain. <laughs> You're like I barely recognize you anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I talk a lot on this show about how uh, I grew up kind of D and D adjacent and not really realizing it. Um, you know, reading the Salvatore books and Dragonlance, um, and, and never realizing literally until four or five years ago that that was D and D <laughs> and even though I th- I'm sure it said it somewhere on the book, but I was like, I just want to read about Drids yeah. and you know, whatever. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a testament to what we're talking about, about the um, you know, the, the land of a thousand stories is that I could live in and consume all of these stories as, as a young kid and never realize it was part of, of a game or something else that it was, it was just a great place for great stories to happen. Yeah. And that is, I think that's the key to the realms. It's not a nicey, nicey, safey, safey space. Bad things happen there frequently Sure. Um, to people you care about, even if right, they're imaginary, yeah. you know, but it is a refuge for your dreams. It's a place that at least is more interesting than our real world around us. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you want, if you have to get on the bus to commute to a job you don't want to go to, or if you have to, oh, we're out of milk again. I got to go shopping. Oh, it's, it's snowy outside. Darn. Um, or, oh, what do you mean my library book's overdue? I'm not finished it yet or whatever, you know, yeah, that sort yeah. of mundane stuff that just the sort of drip, drip, drip of stuff that just sort of drags us down. You can go, hey, I can go to where there are knights in armor thundering past me on steeds and they stop spattering me with mud and they yank off their helm to ask directions and they are gorgeous. And <laughs> When they yank off the helm and you go, wow, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, and and they're in the middle of asking me and then they stop and look up and there's a dragon gliding high in the sky. And it's like, okay, cool. Story time. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's, that's that. Well, as as you came to the realms, it's story. It's this wonderful place Mm -hmm. where stories happen. Do you have uh, do you have particular parts of the realms or or characters that you have created that um, that are are more near and dear to your heart, perhaps, than others that that are just you know just precious to you that you're so glad you were able to create? There are places I love to go more than other places, like Shadowdale, mm-hmm. you know, um, sure, like Waterdeep, uh, yeah. and like Cormir, and there are also places where I want to go because I don't think we've done them properly yet. Hmm. And Cormier headlines that, but it also yeah. goes into all the bits that we'd never got to cover. You see, there's been a tug of war between me and TSR and now me and Wizards of the Coast. There's two countervailing things. Let's go cover this new bit of the globe that we haven't covered yet. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Those sort of books don't sell. Um, we want to do another book on Waterdeep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've done Waterdeep six times over. Yes, because Waterdeep books sell. We don't know right. if a book that's set on, you know, um, the Ankarome will sell. That's because you've mm-hmm. never done one yet. Yes, right. and we intend to keep it that way. You know, and, and, and <laughs> y- you want to say, but I haven't finished carpet bombing in the entire planet yet. And right. they go, 
yes, we have to save that. And of course, now in, in the modern era with Wizards of the Coast, somebody could license it for a movie or a, uh, a TV streaming service series or mm-hmm. who knows, uh, a, a line of bendable, um, smellable lunch buckets or whatever, you know. And, and right, yeah. a, a licensee might want a continent to play with and tell their own story. So Wizards of the Coast is sort of concentrating on the Sword Coast. And, sure. and of course, to long-term gamers, they're going, hey, it's time to cover this place. It's time to cover that place. And look over here on the yeah. map. But, yeah. but they have a business reason for letting that be open to a license. So there, this, this tug of war in coverage. So there are places I, I'm fond of for themselves. And there are places I'm right. fond of because we... I want to do do them justice, do them again, do more on them. And then there are places we've never gotten to see in a product yet. And darn, I want to go there. So there's right. all of those different loves. And then there's stories we haven't really told. Um, Brian Cortijo has inherited uh, a labor of love that was done by Grant Christie, me, George Crashos, Eric Boyd and some other people, and it's an ongoing royal lineage of Cormier from the founding of the kingdom, telling the story of all of the the royal members and their double crosses, people who murdered somebody else, um, all the stuff that was going on, and that's never been officially published. It's seen the light of day mm-hmm. and very, and it's still being worked on. And there are many little projects like that. Um, I I want to do Volo's guides to just about. Um, in the style of the old second edition Volo's guides, uh, you know, yeah. where he, he does bitchy restaurant reviews <laughs> as he, you know, um, <laughs> I wanted to cover all of the planet like that. Yeah. I'm working on one it, now. Two that, now. I, Excuse me. It, would it be kind of in the style of the old Rick Steves travels Europe, uh, you know, PBS shows, just Volo going from region to region and sitting down with the locals and <laughs> well, yeah. trying the different yeah. beers. I, I did some digest, sized paperbacks in second Mm -hmm. edition that did some areas and you have to leave one or two of them out because they don't fit the mold like Bola's Guide to All Things Magical but the early ones Bola's Guide to Waterdeep, Bola's Guide to the North Bola's Guide to the Sword Coast that's the sort of thing I would love to do. Now there is one drawback with Volo which is also a hidden um, plus for writers Um, TSR was fond of giving me um, impossible assignments like Volo's Guide to the Sword Coast, which is sort of like mm. saying, I need an in-depth, detailed guide to the United States of America. Every hotel, every restaurant, you've got right. eight pages. <laughs> so the Volo yeah. would get kicked out of a lot of places, as in right. the entire city. You know, the guards would say, oh, you... Keep on your way, traveler. You know, <laughs> so there right. are, therefore I could leave something out. Like I, yeah. I just couldn't fit Silvery Moon into one of the guides. So Volo got shown the door. Got kicked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that was the only way I could satisfy the ath- assignment without saying, yeah. Um, okay, the United States goes from New York to L.A. and there's not much in between, right. which is a real disservice to the country. Sure infuriates tons of people and it also means hey i needed the volo's guides because my player characters have to travel 
from New York to L.A. And they'd like to know what's in right. that big empty space. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm doing a well, bunch I'd of like... those on the uh, DMs Guild right now with Steve Fiddler. <laughs> um, Amaroon's Almanacs, where he does forests, mountains, swamps. So that when you run into a desert, a coast, a mountain, you have something that says, okay, you can eat this plant, but don't eat that one. <laughs> yeah. That was going to be one of my questions is, do you feel uh, like kind of in the modern day with the, with the advent of things like the DMs Guild, where people can create these really, you know, high quality, um, beautifully illustrated, you know, fully professional looking pieces for, for players. Um, do you find that it's allowing you or just people in general to really explore some of these spaces that, that you feel like have gone unexplored for a long time and, and look into the detail that has kind of been glossed over for years? Oh, yeah. I mean, it has a few drawbacks, and one of them is that not everything on it can be printed. Sure. You know, and, and to me, that's like, that's crazy. Let, let everybody print everything. Um, yeah. Um, because what turns one person's crank isn't going to turn another. I mean, I learned that years ago. I, I used to get buttonholed at conventions with earnest, serious gamers who wanted to know the underlying geology of this little corner of the realms. And I realized I'm talking to professors of geology and they really care about this stuff. Right. Holy kadoodle. Um, I've got to um, make up stuff in a heck of a hurry. It sounds like I know. Uh, <laughs> and then remember what you said. So that Bingo. It can... <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, but what what one person loves may be immaterial to another. I mean, I'll mm. get quizzed on aerial combat, as in, okay, if I use a high cantled saddle when I'm riding my wyvern, and the other guy's right. on a dragon with just a you know an English riding type saddle, can he dive more steeply than I can without falling off? And you go, just make it up. <laughs> Whatever works best for them, but you go, no, right, somebody right. cares about this. But somebody else yeah. wants rules for, okay, I'm going to have tea with the barbarian leader, and I want to poison his tea, not to kill him, just to give him the trots so he can't get on his horse so he won't invade us. Um, what traceless, untastable poison that won't be detected by any of his highly suspicious wise woman he will right. bring with him can i use and you think wow let's go back to the dragon diving thing <laughs> but i mean but i mean <laughs> yeah. the, so anything could be grist for somebody's yeah. gaming table so anything yeah. should be printable but yeah the larger question is i think it's wonderful it lets us all participate in the hobby you know so and that is the delight of dungeon masters guild um the staff that produces D&D stuff at Wizards of the Coast, the, the in-house staff is very small these days. Yeah. And they can do that in part because they can call on lots of talented freelancers. Sure. They have to for the art. And, and um, lots and lots of people, gamers all around the world, doing their own thing on DMs Guild. And that is great because they get to be a part of the parade. It, it's mm -hmm. like the difference between... In, in old-time America, and I'm just old enough to remember when this was fading away, you know, before most places had television, there was no internet. When the circus came to town, that was entertainment. And there were parades, and there were two sorts of parades. There was the visiting parade, 
where nobody got to be in the parade unless they were part of, you know, whatever it was, whether it was this regiment or that thing they were celebrating or even Mm -hmm. a funeral march for somebody. And then there was this parade where everybody in town got to participate. And, you know, the local pinochle players from the fire hall had two men marching with huge beer bellies and and they were wearing little funny hats and they had flags and they waved at everybody. And then at the end of the parade, everybody who'd stood and watched just joined in at the back and walked along too. And that feeling of being part of it, the creative expression and the fact Mm -hmm. to to spread your wings as a storyteller, as a designer, that's where we're going to get the new talent, the new games, the new stories. And I see it more and more now because one of the things I do outside gaming is I write fantasy and publish it and I write science fiction and I'm now encountering authors who've not only never read Clark, Heinlein, Herbert, uh, Asimov, um, they've never heard of them, which mm-hmm. just sort of rocks my world. It's like, what? Right. Because I, I also come, my other, one of my other hats is as a librarian or work in a public library. And it's like, what do you mm-hmm. mean you haven't read the classics in the field that you're going to try yeah. and make your career writing in? But some people right. are proud of that. It's not like, Oh, I've never heard of them. It's like, oh, I don't want to write like all those tired old white guys. You know, and it's like, yeah, but if if you're reacting against somebody, you might want to find out what you're reacting against first, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to go off and realize you just wrote Foundation again. Yes. And, and had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And or even more painfully, you spend two or three years writing it and a publisher says, no, I can't publish this. And you go, what's wrong with it? My friend read it and said it was very well written. It is very well written. However, Tolkien did it first or George (laughs) Lucas did it first or, you know, and you go, what do you mean? And, you know, if the person has time, they will sit down and point out that your story is such a close carbon copy and it may be totally unintentional just because you thought, oh, the best way for the story to go here would be to have a Death Star or whatever, you know, <laughs> and you just yeah, do the same yeah. thing for story reasons because you didn't know that somebody else had done it first. So, and, but anyway, um, yeah, it, it, DM's Guild is our future, our bright, shining future, and it's our way or one of the ways in which people can feel engaged. The Adventurers League is another. Now, the Adventurers League appeals more to the competitive gamer and to the gamer mm-hmm. who can go to every convention. And one of the things that used to annoy me intensely, even in the early days of TSR, oh, you can only get this module if you attend this convention. Mm, It's like, well, so that little kid who's eight years old, whose mother won't let him travel across a continent and stay with strangers and doesn't have the money for a hotel room, he gets treated like a second class or third class piece of pile of chopped liver not as good as a gamer who doesn't work and is independently wealthy and so can go to another convention every weekend you know yeah yeah (laughs) and and yes i know that life is not fair and if you are rich and powerful you can get more than those of us who are not but still if there's one thing a, a game a pastime that we all engage in should give us the chance for it's another road 
to sit down with somebody at a gaming table who is not the friend you can sit down with every day. And yeah, that's all, yeah. to me, that was the great thing about Gen Con. A sit-down table at the AD&D Open that wasn't all friends who played with each other, and you could mm -hmm. find eight-year-old girls sitting next to 65-year-old ministers in, from their church, sitting right. next to a, a serving military guy out for the weekend and in his fatigues because he can only spare a couple hours, but he's desperate to play D&D. Yeah, know, and yeah. they get to meet people from all over the world and game with them and discover that people are very much the same all over the world. You know, and it's a great thing. Do you still, um, obviously right now, none of us do, um, <laughs> yes. but do you still, uh, do you still attend Gen Con or, or conventions? Um, I do, but um, I have another problem on top of COVID that was around before COVID. Um, my wife is now 85 and bedridden. So mm, okay. I have to be home every night for her. Sure. And what sure. that means is I can attend conventions that I can get to and back in a day. And right, right. Gen Con is not a hub if you're flying in there. And if you're yeah, flying from yeah. Canada and have to go through customs both ways with a delay of, of the customs thing, um, I have tried to, you know, to find flights, but not being independently wealthy and not having my own jet right and and, and you makes know, makes it difficult and military clearance or the ability to say hey you know there's that there's that county park just northwest of um the convention center you know right by purdue if you just fly low there i can parachute out you know, you know, <laughs> just swing the helicopter yeah, yeah, low. Swing the helicopter the, low. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, ladder, yeah. you know, the, this is the United States of America. I'm entering their airspace crossing. I don't think that's a good idea. They might yeah. not like it. You know, so I, right, I, yeah. I've had to cut back on my conventions. But, sure. But yeah, sure. I, my first Gen Con was Gen Con 8. My second mm -hmm. Gen Con was Gen Con 13. My third Gen Con was Gen Con 17. And I attended every single one up until three years ago. Wow. Wow. And it was my annual vacation and it was seeing yeah. my people. It was, yeah. hey, I'm not the only crazy gamer. Look, there's <laughs> tens of thousands of us. And look, we, yeah. some of us made it here and I can buy stuff. Right. And you see, I never, ever wanted to fly to Gen Con. I wanted to drive. So you could load up the car yeah. on the way back. Yeah. And I wanted to drive a minivan. <laughs> yeah. So it could be right to the roof. <laughs> No, yeah. I think I would say, so what did you buy? And you'd thrust this list out the window at him and he'd take one <laughs> look at the list and they heap the stuff in the car and say, oh, forget it. Happy motoring. <laughs> Just go on through. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I mean, as someone who um, is n fairly new to the game, not necessarily new to the world, but still just kind of discovering, you know, the things that you've talked about, the sheer depth and, uh, you know, the, the richness of, of colors and detail that exists that I, I still get to discover it. It's great to get to hear you talk about kind of how that's grown and become and how it's still growing. And there's so much left to explore. Yeah, it is great. Thank you. I mean, as people enter the hobby, they are the lifeblood of the hobby. You know, mm. us old guys, we die. You know, I'm, I'm on my way to my grave now. I, I just, I, I want it to take years from now but sure i inevitably i mean 
many of the lions of the genre that I knew when I came as this awkward, gangly kid have passed on now. So I want new gamers constantly. I want new blood because yeah. as long as there's tons and tons of us, there will be more and more gaming stuff for me to buy. Whereas if we were literally <laughs> dying off and the, the market was getting smaller, right. it would be down to um, people handing each other their photocopied, stapled, um, here, here's a new adventure I made up. Trade you. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's what we'd be down to. And in fact, all that used to happen a lot at early Gen Cons. Sure. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that is that is fantastic. Um, stick around if you don't mind, sure. because uh, as my as my listeners know, if they support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, they get access to the zone of truth segment where uh, I chat with my guests about who knows what typically hobbies or things are into. Do you have something, Ed, in mind that uh, that you enjoy doing that is not necessarily D&D that, that you want to chat about for 10 or 15 minutes? I don't know. You, you better pick something because, you know, I suspect library work is not going to be high on the list of action packed i might actually i love the library okay. so that that might actually be a thing okay. um, that might be what we talk about um but before we go though uh, is there uh, somewhere people can follow you or, or check you out on lunch they just google your name or are you active on any of the social medias um okay i am a luddite okay so yes i'm active on facebook and so on but i rarely check it and usually when sure. I get nudged by somebody in one of the Forgotten Realms groups to provide an answer. But daily, I can be found on Twitter. And it's probably the only social media platform that I regularly visit. And I am at the adverse. All one word. Excellent. Um, not adverse without the the. That's, that's a gentleman called adverse. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but yeah, the adverse. Yeah. And every... Well, excellent. We will... Yeah. Uh... We'll put it, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can find you. That's how you and I got connected. And, and, yeah. you know, hopefully someday, you know, God's willing, we'll uh, bump into each other at, you know, who knows, who knows what might happen, sure. but it'd be, it'd be great to, to meet in person. Yeah, let's, um, let's get out of this COVID thing so we can go and have conventions again and game amen. together and, you know, hang out, fill up our minivans. Yeah. 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 Well, it's awesome. Well, uh, Ed's going to stick around. We're going to talk for a few more minutes after this. Like I said, if you want to uh, support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, you can do that and you get access to the Zone of Truth segments. You get access to the back catalog uh, where we chatted with oh, all sorts of people. Margaret Weiss told us about her dog training habits and uh, um, someone else. Uh, Mark Humes talked about LARPing. So there's all sorts of fun stuff you can go check out if you support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. And the Zone of Truth segment is brought to you by my friends at Smuggler's Coffee, makers of the nerdiest coffee in the galaxy. Go to store.smugglerscoffee.com to check them out. And of course, if you enjoy the show, please make sure that you subscribe. It means a lot to me. Uh, those download numbers always help us. If you have the moment, the opportunity to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate that as well. You can always follow the show at Roll Persuasion on Instagram and Twitter. I am very active there. always like chatting with you guys. And you can go to RollForPersuasion.com to get all of this info and buy some cool shirts I made. So make sure you go check that out if you feel like it. And uh, until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.